Welcome to Pensions WTAF Working Through the Actual Facts podcast, a podcast brought to you by Pengage Limited, pension communications, engagement and guidance experts. I'm Laura and I have 25 years experience working within the pension sector, helping people to prepare and plan for their retirement. And I'm Nigel Heaton. I joined um, Laura at Pengage last year. After 33 years working in the pensions industry uh, for some of the major employee benefit consultancies, I'm also a fellow of the Pensions Management Institute and on pensions, I'm really short of an opinion. So this is a podcast no one will want to listen to because it's about pensions, but you should listen to it. It's a bit fun, it's relatable, it's kind of important. This is not financial advice, but guidance to help work through some of the practical and emotive issues that causes pensions procrastination. So we basically take the complicated stuff and try and make it a bit not complicated. To the Working Through the Actual Facts Pensions podcast with me, Laura Bola, and my co-star, Nigel Heaton. Hello, Nigel. How are you? Hello. Yes, I'm very well. How are you? I'm all right. Been been a while. It has been a while. We've been on holiday and there's stuff been going on and um, the cost of living crisis has sort of accelerated um, since we last did our um, podcast. Um, some scary numbers for CPI that measures inflation. Yeah, it's um, yeah. The last podcast that we did, I think, was in May on pension ages, wasn't it? And before that, we've been focusing on McLeod. But it's, I suppose, the inflation thing's been rumbling on for a bit, but it's kind of reaching these levels now. Where it's getting more and more difficult for people, and some are making difficult decisions. I think. Yeah, it's difficult to know where to start to discuss cost of living and inflation because it has so many bearings on pensions generally. I mean, a lot of our clients and a lot of the people we talk to have got public sector pensions. So in in some respects, they are more fortunate because they have defined benefit or care pension benefits that have accrued or in some cases impairment. And they are usually linked in in a lot of cases in the public sector, fully linked to inflation. So I I guess that um, public sector pensioners and potential pensioners are protected more than most well they probably are aren't they because um it's unlikely that um for people who are working that their pay rises regardless of whatever sector they work in that their pay rise is going to be at the Mm. current level of inflation that we're seeing um whereas the pensions in payment as you say will go up by whatever the september inflation is so to just to clarify on that pensions particularly public sector uh, pensions in payment or deferred pensions are revalued on the 1st of April each year and they use the CPI that is measured as at the 1st of the previous September. So September 22, inflation will increase the April 23 pensions. Um, lots of numbers being banded around about that at the moment. Some people expecting it to be as well for inflation to get up as high as 18 percent, aren't they? Yeah, which takes us back to the late 70s, early 80s. Early 80s, I think it was, um, or mid-80s, it was that high. Early 70s, it was 29%, wasn't it? But that was mainly due to um, oil price rises and and the OPEC countries trying to make a political point. But yeah, it's quite scary. Um, I I suppose it it throws up quite a lot of anomalies, doesn't it? Because we know in the public sector, current employees are going to be accruing future pension benefits from now onwards or from April this year onwards um, 
on a care basis, which means that the revaluation of the pension benefits is linked to CPI. So with effect from April next year, one could argue that potentially that's good news for the rate at which that pension benefits accrue. Do you agree? Absolutely, because it's it's a compounding effect, isn't it? So when we say compounding effect, what we mean is that on the 1st of April, whatever pension they've accrued, so let's say they've accrued £1,000 worth of pension, if inflation is 10%, then they'll get 10% added on top of that £1,000. So that would be mm-hmm. £100. But then the next year, when it gets revalued, the whole amount gets revalued by inflation again, so, so the in the if you like the inflation increase is then increased by inflation and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. So it actually has quite a much bigger effect than just the initial the year that it increases by. But yeah, it's it's really good news from that perspective. It starts to get a little bit more complicated, I think, um, for people where they have care benefits or career average benefits of old and particularly where I'm thinking about here is um, GP, GPs in the NHS pension scheme whose yeah. initial pension benefits so before the 2015 changes work in a different way to the main um, public sector schemes in that they are a care scheme so again they are linked to inflation and they will revalue at the 1st of April by a really high rate which is great because it's pushing for some of them they'll have pensions that are already worth 20, 30, 35,000 pounds and obviously inflation on top of that is going to be quite a significant number on its own. What that does do is it perhaps generates an an annual allowance tax charge just on the inflation um, because the benefits are revaluing as at September 22, but the um, the starting point from a pension growth perspective actually uses the previous September, so September 21. So it's, they are not lined up in terms of the CPI, which does mean that when you've got a high period of inflation in one year, it can generate an annual allowance charge that it wouldn't do normally. But yes. what it does yeah. mean overall, of course, is the pension has increased significantly for effectively doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. So there's sort of a disconnect, isn't there, in the um, annual allowance calculation when you calculate the pensions input amount? Because we know, for example, for the 2022-23 tax year, we know that the um, CPI as a that, that that will be used um, to uplift the opening um, pension. Um, we know that's going to be 3.1 percent. Yeah. But we don't know what the um, care revaluation rate is going to be but it like you said earlier it could potentially be 15 16 17 percent cpi is currently running at 10.4 percent wasn't it last month so that disconnect by itself has the knock-on impact of potentially bringing more people within the annual allowance than ever before yes it does and it, it is the subject of quite some controversy and um, there's no doubt at all that if those two CPI figures were aligned, which just seemed like a more sensible approach for many reasons, then somebody may well still have an annual allowance issue, but it would be as a result of what they're actually um, accruing in terms of new benefit rather than just revaluation yeah. of existing. However, that being said, the pension benefit is going up quite significantly as a result. And so, um, you know, the, the likelihood really is that even with using a scheme pays in most circumstances, the pension is still going to be higher than it would have been had it not had the inflation. So we 
yes, it's a, it's it feels unsatisfactory. Um, but actually, overall, people would still potentially be better yeah. off than without. That's that's the message, I suppose. So that's one part of it. Yeah. The other part that that trips people up quite a lot, actually, um, which I feel compelled to mention, is I get quite a lot of questions. Um, I've been getting quite a lot actually over the last few weeks from people who have said, um, if I opt out now, then my pension will go up in April um, by whatever CPI is. And so my pension would be higher than if I stayed in the scheme. Um, and it's an interesting point that. So what we mean by that is if somebody leaves the pension scheme and ceases to contribute to it, they become what's known as a deferred member. And they're not adding any more pension benefits to that. Um, but the pension itself is then a bit like a pension in payment is that it increases on the 1st of April in line with the previous September CPI. So what people are suggesting are that if they opt out of the pension scheme, say in December, then their pension will increase in April by more than it would have done had they remained in the scheme because pay is not keeping track with pension. There are a couple of issues with that. The first one is that the care benefits, as we've said, do keep track with inflation when you're an active member. And in fact, actually increased by a bit higher in some schemes. So they have like an extra uplift. So um, by opting out of the scheme, you'd be ceasing any accrual in those new benefits. Yeah. So you're not adding anything new. Um, so you'd have to look at whether that was affordable. The second thing, though, which is the main point that I'm getting to, is that what people don't realise is that you only get the full inflation increase on the 1st of April if you've been not been an active member for the whole 12 months okay so just to keep it simple let's say inflation at september is 10 percent. so if we've been a pensioner member or a deferred member for a full 12 months at april we would get a 10 percent increase to our pension but if we opt out of the pension in october that is halfway through the tax year or the scheme year and so we would get a proportionate amount of that increase. So we would get half of it effectively. So we would get a 5% increase and not a 10% increase. So some people are saying, oh, well, if I opt out in March, then it will uplift. No, it doesn't. It's proportionate to the amount of time that you've been out of the scheme in that year. So if we haven't already opted out, it's probably going to be more damaging than it is staying in, particularly because you lose the accrual of the future benefits. Plus death and service benefits and things like that. So that's, that's quite a, just want to think about before somebody jumps into that. Yeah. And I, I know also within the private sector uh, and obviously in the private sector, most defined benefit schemes are now close to accrual. So they typically have pensioners and deferred members and no actives. But if, if you're a deferred member of a defined benefit scheme in the private sector and you're considering taking your benefits early um, before normal pension age, there is some logic in delaying your early retirement until after April of next year so that you can have a more generous um, revaluation factor applied to your pension benefits before the early retirement factor is applied to them. And I know that defined benefit scheme trustees are, are looking at should they adjust their early retirement factors to allow for the fact that inflation is now a lot higher than when these factors were originally introduced because most of them um, have been in place at least since the last actuarial valuation which could be three years ago and inflation has been below five percent um, up until recently for for the last five six seven years 
I suppose it's the it's what the long term expectation is. I mean, if this I'm not suggesting is I'm not an economist, but if if, for example, but this was a blip and then from next year it started to sort of go back down to more reasonable levels, then, you know, it's not it's not it's it's a kind of a unique situation, isn't it? Whereas if it's something that is expected to continue over a number of years, then obviously that changes the landscape quite drastically, doesn't it? So, yeah, it um, does. But I don't think even actuaries, though, can predict to that level of accuracy as to whether it's a long-term trend. But I think they're also obliged in setting early retirement factors to make sure they represent reasonable value for the um, benefits that would have been payable at normal retirement age. And, and if they're based on an inflation assumption that's that's years out of date, then you, it's a strong argument to say, well, actually, they're not. So, um, yeah, there's a, the cost of living crisis that's in the tabloid news is throwing up an, an awful lot of day-to-day -day problems, but within the pensions world, there's a lot more subtle issues arising, such as those that we've been talking about. Um, well, but, pensions awareness week is is looming, isn't it? And this is one thing that's coming up for discussion yeah. quite a lot. Um, so, pensions yeah. awareness day or week, depending on who you are, yeah. is in September, and it has been for the last few years. And it, the aim of it is to um, raise the profile really of people's pension savings and try and encourage people to save more and take a more active role yeah. in retirement planning. Um, yeah, but, but well, you, you know my views on this. I'm quite cynical about it because I, I, it, it's hard to criticise something which, which has got the best of intentions in, in increasing awareness of pensions. But if we're relying on, on a single day once a year to try and achieve that objective, then we're probably going to fail, aren't we? It needs to be part of the culture within the workplace that an employer puts in place to make sure that people actually buy into the fact that they need to take some responsibility for their own retirement income when they eventually stop work. Because we, we get all kinds of people saying, I don't do pensions, it's too difficult, oh, it's not for me, and I need somebody to explain it to me. And and within that, that there's an implied criticism of the pensions industry, but we do need to make it simpler, but part of a way of life for most people. We can't have some of our most talented and intelligent people in society saying pensions are too complex. And, and that's what happens. Um, and, and so we need to simplify the system, but we also need to educate people better and at a much earlier stage in their life. And if that means that we do financial education in schools, then so be it. Because, you know, you, you can't have people approaching retirement without the first idea as to what their retirement income is. That's just that's just crazy in a, a sophisticated society. But I, I also get quite cynical about awareness days because, like I, I said to you earlier today, didn't I, that in the next week there is a national banana split day a national dog awareness day and a national petroleum day so it's almost like anyone with a vested interest in something is going to have an awareness day so if people are cynical about pension awareness day it's hardly surprising really <laughs> I like the sound of banana split day i need to need to look at that more but no i, th I think you're right we, we've always had a mantra of uh make pensions normal and and what we mean by that is it, it's something we should just be doing. I think sometimes when you highlight something with a day, it implies you only need to be doing it at that time. And actually what we're saying to people is you need to be looking at it, um, you know, all of the time. You need to be kind of engaging with, with can you do what you want to do? And as we've said before, aren't we, there are lots of variables that feed into this sort of plan. And so have a plan and be prepared to change it. But 
have a plan because otherwise you're heading somewhere and you're not not knowing if you're going to be able to do what you want to do so I, I do agree I do think that um I'm always a big fan of things that do raise the profile of pensions and pension savings. But it, I do think sometimes they do carry this undercurrent of, but it doesn't matter if you don't look at it the rest of the time. And that's not really yeah. what we're saying, is it? Yeah. And I, I think one of the underlying messages absolutely needs to be that your retirement income is your responsibility. You know, your employer will help you. There's lots of help available from the government as well. The state pension um, is still reasonably generous. Um, and there's lots of help and information available, but I don't think it's good enough for anybody, whether you're educated or not, just to sit back and say, it's too complicated. It's not my problem. You need to tell me what to do because you wouldn't do that with anything else. No, no. And, I, and, you know, there are definitely things that are complex. The pensions tax rules, the annual allowance we were talking about before, that you know, awful. Um, and that does take some um, investigation. But, but you know, it, it just means reading the information that that is out there and that's available or if your employer puts on you know engagement and education sessions attend them you know there are mm. there are still things that you you should do to take some positive action but um once you start picking through it it's just about it's the it's the classic how to eat an elephant isn't it you just have to break it down into chunks to understand what it is and how it works and from there on you can then start making your decisions but you're right people do tend to shy away from it it's very much head in sand yeah. still yeah, think I it's mean, a proximity thing maybe yeah maybe there, there may be lots of reasons why people don't engage uh, but you know booking a holiday and going on holiday abroad is actually quite complicated these days bearing in mind everything you have to do but most people manage it and most people are quite proud of the fact that they're experts in booking online holidays and know all the protocols and how to beat the system. Um, all we need to do is rechannel that enthusiasm and problem-solving ability into um, providing for your own retirement income. I'd say, you know, pensions is complex, but it's not. It's not that complex. It depends how important it is to you. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Um, because uh, yeah, we went to Barcelona in April, and I was I was losing the will to live trying to work out what I was supposed to be doing and where and yeah. how, and you know, and, and it worked it out, and it was all fine. But you're right, there's it's it's the motivation behind it, isn't it? If people are motivated, yeah. then they will they will do it. Yeah. So it's that lack of motivation that's um, and it's, as we think we've talked about before, and you said there are lots of reasons for that. But it is then one of those things that where we've got this kind of lack of motivation, uh, if you like and suggesting it's too complicated and now we've got this cost of living issue pensions then becomes one of those areas where people start to make decisions um to try and save money that potentially are much bigger decisions than they perhaps realize yeah and some of them are quite sad there was the story in the press wasn't the last week about the lady who'd opted out of the uh, NHS pension scheme because she wanted to save the uh, members pension scheme contributions but unfortunately um, I I can't remember the details but she she died and she had dependent children and because she'd opted out she lost the life assurance cover which meant there was no life assurance in place for her dependent children. Yeah Um, she she was like the this was like the culmination of, of a perfect storm this because um, normally, as we said before, if you opt out of the pension, so long as you've got two years 
in the pension, mm-hmm. then by opting out, there is there is a form of a small benefit potentially that could be not a lot to be honest, but but a small benefit that could be payable. She um, joined the pension scheme in November and opted out in May, so she had less than two years service. And where you have less than two years service, you get all of your contributions back, less tax, but you've got then no entitlement to anything in the scheme at all. So she did. She got she got COVID actually, and and I think she was in her forties, and she sadly died. Um, and there's nothing because because she opted out of the scheme and. Um, I get it. I get that when you look at your income versus your outgoings and you see that there's an amount per month going out to your pension, you're questioning, is that really necessary? It's, um, I think I said to you before, it almost is the quick and the dirty way to save money or bring, or keep more money in the household is just to opt out of the pension. But unfortunately, it can have some quite big consequences, can't it? Well, yeah, that's a really sad story, isn't it? And it it made the the press because, like you say, there was a combination of uh, a series of events which led to a really tragic outcome. Um, yeah, and so so the cost of living it is. We talked about some quite subtle Im- impacts on how it affects defined benefit and care schemes, but you know, on a day to day basis, the cost of living crisis is actually affecting people day to day in real terms that it's affecting how they live their life what they give their children to eat whether they're going to put the heating on in the winter and all that kind of stuff and it's quite tragic you do wonder where it will end and um, you do wonder how much the politicians understand how it affects people day to day because you listen to the leadership debates for the conservative party and some of it just feels like they're on a different planet altogether that a lot of the things that we talk about when you're trying to manage day-to-day finances better are just so far into the people who are having the debate that it's almost pointless um, putting your faith in them. That that sounds a bit party political, but I'd say that across the the political spectrum, most people just don't get it. You know, uh, we both live in relatively working class areas and the, the kind of things that people I come across day to day struggle with I don't. I don't think the politicians who make decisions fully understand it. I, I don't. I don't think they can relate to it at all. No. No, you're right. So you're right. We we live in quite working class areas. I mean, where I live particularly has a, something like a sixty percent unemployment rate. So or low income households. Um, Rachel, who is on our team, she actually volunteers at a food bank on a Friday, doesn't she? And she was yeah. saying that uh, that's gone. Um, you know the take up of things like that have gone up again so you're really seeing it and you're you're really feeling it um what I would say is that um hospital trusts particularly if you, if somebody is listening to this and they work for a hospital trust a lot of the trusts that we've worked with um have put so many things in place to try to support where they can so that might be links into citizens advice to help get guidance and support on managing budgets and setting budgets. Uh, it can be um, um, free hot meals a day. It can be food banks in the hospital. It can. None of these things are ideal and are fixes to anything. It's still an awful problem. But there are steps that they take to try and to try and help people um, either through the HR departments or through the chaplains, um, depending on who people feel comfortable talking to. So there are. There are things there, but it is it's it's really it's really challenging. So um 
I read something today on Twitter, Nigel, I want to know what you think about this, that says basically um, the headline was you, you shouldn't get into a debt um, over and above your pension contribution. So what, what the article was saying really was that if you haven't got enough money, you should just opt out of the pension because you should get into debt and stay in the pension. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I'd say that sounds a little bit radical and a bit simplistic because there are there are some schemes where once you've opted out, opting back in again becomes quite a challenge. It's not as straightforward as it might be because as a temporary solution, one could argue that it has some merit and, and perhaps it does. But as long as it, it's temporary and you can reverse the decision in the future and go back in again, you could argue that that, that does make some sense. But I, I think as, as you and I were saying off air <laughs> earlier this afternoon, if you've mismanaged your own personal finances for 20 years, simply changing where you do your shopping is not actually going to make that much difference on the face of it. So it, you need to be careful that just suspending your pension scheme contributions is not a simple option um, because you fail to manage all the other alternatives that are available to you and have been available to you. Because the, these same people who will suspend pension contributions might well be the same people who reach retirement and need to rely on pensions credit because they don't have sufficient retirement income from other sources. It, it, that sounds, it, that's really, it sounds really hard-nosed, doesn't it? But I, I, I don't think it's as simple as, as what you've read on Twitter. No, I don't, I don't, think, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think anything ever is, though, is it? I, I like <laughs> what you've read on Twitter, but it's it just helps to see where the mood is. Um, it's definitely a balance, isn't it? It's a balance of doing what you need to do for today, but not deferring a problem for later. And the 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 problem the problem is is if somebody, particularly lower earners, opt out because of affordability issues, the likelihood of them opting back in later. Mm is is drastically reduced yeah, and then what they are doing is is kicking a problem for down the road but also they're losing out on the employer contribution that goes into the pension with their own um in whatever form that might take so there is there is that issue i mean i don't it is it, it is a balance but i i'm with you i suspect there are lots of steps people should take first rather than like i said before this quick and dirty method of a oh, war just opt out because that gives me an extra 50 pounds a month it's it's about looking at the other things that like i said to you before how many people have we spoken to who have subscriptions or memberships coming out of their account that they don't use gym membership yep. things like that um yeah. those things you know spending on the go we talk about that quite a lot don't we in our yeah. sessions if you're not people spend more money out on the go that than they ever really realize um, so there's all sorts of decisions that people, should, to be honest, they should do it anyway. People should, in an ideal world, people would be reviewing their finances on a fairly regular basis um, yeah. to make sure that they, that they're not that they're getting the most out of their money because it's their money that they work for, isn't it? And I, I'm just yeah, not sure that instantly opting out of the pension is the right answer. But there will be some people that is the only option they have, and and that's that's what they're going to need to do then, isn't it? In 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 the their own set of circumstances. Oh, agreed, agreed. Yeah, and just just one final thing that I wanted to say um, was about some of the unintended consequences of, of the cost of living crisis as it affects the health service, because we talked about the potential impact on the annual allowance. Now, the medical profession does claim that the annual allowance 
and potentially the lifetime allowance of actually encouraging clinicians to to leave their job in their 50s at the time when they are the most experienced and capable and the health service needs them most. And, you know, you look on social media, you do sort of see some anecdotal evidence that this is this is happening. So we expect the government to have to try and look at this, that in particular, this disconnect between the CPI measurements that, that impacts the annual allowance in particular. And, and we do both, I think both Conservative Party leadership candidates have made passing reference to it, although I'm not convinced that either of them fully get it. Um, but also, you know, still within the health service, it, it, it's almost like what a time to be alive that it is great that <laughs> NHS trusts recognise the fact that their employees need some support and provide food banks and something. But these are people who were nurses who were caring for our loved ones. What a time to be alive that <laughs> the hospital that employs them has to help feed them as well because they can't afford to live it, it's just it's just crazy i'm not offering any solutions but it, yeah i'm just saying it, what a time to be alive it's yeah there, there isn't yeah it, it's it's difficult isn't it and it's coming at a time when it's we've come to the you know obviously the the pandemic and the impact that had on the nhs and still is having on the nhs yeah. actually it's you know there's a lot of things feeding into those emotions isn't there? and it's really it's really tough uh, really yeah. so yeah, i think yeah. we, we don't have any answers like a lot of people do we, we, i think what we would just say is is if you can review your finances get some help citizens advice are there they can also make sure that you're claiming anything that you're entitled to mm-hmm. um so do that as well because that could actually increase the income coming into your house and and take all of those steps first um before we come back and look at whether we should we should be coming out of the pension because you've got to ask yourself if you're coming out what are you giving up but also is it likely that you'll ever end up going back in despite best intentions i think yeah yeah agreed okay brilliant all right well um on that note i don't really know what else to say now Nige. um shall we end the session here well i, I think so yeah. make a joke it doesn't feel appropriate um all and right. um we'll uh we'll catch up soon all right yep see you soon bye Cheers. bye bye